Hello, friends. Welcome to the Sunday Afternoon Podcast with Greg Reese. Today's special guest is Bix Weir. We're going to start that uh, very shortly. Got a bit like about an hour phone conversation with Bix on some very interesting subjects. So I hope you guys enjoy it too. I think, if anything, it's probably going to, if you are interested, it's probably going to cause you to look into and research the stuff we're talking about unless you're already well-versed in it. Pretty interesting stuff, though, which is why I reached out to him. This is the first time on the uh, Sunday Afternoon Podcast that I've had a guest. And uh, let me know what you think. I'd like to do it again. I've, I've been talking to other people about doing it. Uh, I just haven't really gotten to it yet. Today is Sunday, the 28th of August, we are nearing up to 9-11. Two weeks. We are exactly two weeks from 9-11. We'll be doing a Sunday podcast on 9-11. A lot of people are now uh, saying that's the, you know, 9-11, look into 9-11-2008. A lot of people are saying it's going to happen. That's the day the the plug is going to get pulled on the Federal Reserve Bank. Since everyone's talking about it, does that is that going to change anything? Does that mean it's less likely to happen? I don't know. Everyone's talking about it, though. It's going to be interesting. Uh, yeah, before we get started, <clears throat> I just have a couple notes here just to get a little bit, a little, give you a little bit of the huge, the usual podcast which is usually just me talking to all of you about things that are interesting to me or whatever's going on, which is the same. Today, I just had a, uh, that's what the phone uh, that just rang was, my friend Harrison, who's responding to me about the subject, because I, I had to tell someone about this. But, um, uh, so anyways, astrology. Astrology is an interesting subject to me. It always has been. And I grew up in a lot of, um, most of the jobs I've had in my life, plumber, construction, carpenter, the job I have now, uh, most of these jobs I'm surrounded by alpha type or whatever, whatever you say, alpha male type men, I guess you could say. And so I'm well aware that astrology is considered to be a girly thing. I get that. But I find it to be very interesting. I always have, and I can go on and on and on about it. I won't do that right now, but, um, I just watched a recent American Journal episode where Harrison Smith played a evolutionary astrologer. I might be saying that wrong. Who was saying the reason that you can't wake up these people, the herd, the sheep, whatever you want to say, is is you just it's you just can't because they're on a spiritual journey that others aren't. They're not there, and you can't expect them to be there in this lifetime. And I kind of buy that. That's a one way of looking at it. And the reason I, what I immediately thought of was um, when I was studying back before 2012, probably starting in 2008. No, it was before. I think it was like 2005. It was, it's funny because I actually was wondering if I was going to be like alive and healthy during 2012. I mean, I would, you know, when, I was, when I grew up, I just didn't think I was going to live that long, I guess. But I remember studying the Mayan calendar, obsessed over 2012, the end of the Mayan calendar. And the Mayan culture is very fascinating. The whole thing's very interesting. It still is. 
Um, especially now that there's new information that is pretty compelling data that proves that the calendar actually didn't end in 2012. It ends in 2046. And it is all based on a thing called a Phoenix event, or some people call it the Phoenix event or whatever. Anyways, it's very interesting. It's a whole other subject. But when I was studying the Mayan calendar, because I am into astrology, is very interesting. I don't know what astrology is. My, my thought of astrology has always been there. I've never heard any argument that was like compelling enough to explain like what it is or what you can even do with it. Like, when people would complain, like, you shouldn't mess with that, I'm like, okay, fine, but what do you mean mess with it? Like, how can you mess with it? It's just, the way I always saw it was sort of like just observing an unknown, mysterious architecture that exists in nature. That's strange. And that you know, it's just like, wow, look at that. Weird, you know? So I never even understood how you could, how you could quote unquote, like use it, you know, use it for what? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, uh, I mean, obviously I, I guess how some people get advice from astrologers and stuff like that, whatever, that's no different than getting advice from any other human I would imagine. But anyway, so I, the time I was studying, um, Mayan astrology, Mayan horoscopes, and you could actually, you could probably still get it. It was like a freeware... Um, open source astrology software, Mayan specific, which is a real thing. Like I, well, I'll, so first, so first I'll say, I, at first I was very skeptical because I plugged in all the people, my friends, people I was hanging out with at the time. Um, and granted, we were all kind of like we're all musicians, artists, we're all partying, pretty heavy, heavy drinkers, whatever. This was back in the, shoot. No, this was like in the 90s. I got that wrong. Okay, well, that makes sense. I was looking into the mind calendar before I got like my whole red pill moment. Yeah, I was into UFOs and mind calendar for years. So yeah, this is back in the 90s. And so I remember looking back in my, uh, looking into late 90s and I was looking into, all the people I'm hanging out with at the time. And, um, and what I was getting from the Mayan astrologer was like straight up worthless person. Uh, one, of, like, one of them would be despicable person. Multiple people were worthless and multiple people were despicable. And a random few were um, like a priest or something different. So it, I was like, this is a joke. So I looked into it and it turns out it's legit. Like it's, there is, there is a, like, just like Western, there's a Western astrology. There was a whole Mayan astrology system uh, based on their culture and beliefs and stuff. And I guess they weren't as forgiving as Westerners are when it comes to certain types of people. But the reason I mention it now is because at the time it was weird and I still kind of dismissed it, and because I love these people, they are my friends, and I didn't never even. It's interesting that I never mentioned it to my friends, like these people that were described as worthless and despicable. There was a mischievous. I'm a. I have a very mischievous part of me that that was either you know there was a part of me that was like, oh, just tell them and see what they look, you know, see what kind of look they give you or whatever, you know, it'll be funny. But 
I had enough respect to not even bring it up. Anyways, but now I think that's interesting. But anyways, what's interesting is that these people that the Mayan calendar astrology was describing as worthless and despicable, pe- despicable people, these are the people that um, are hook, line, and sinker now into the you know World Economic Forum world, you know, where... Where, you know, me, I'm like, I'm like a horrible, bad person. You know, I'm a, I'm now a a Nazi white supremacist, I guess, because I, I believe in defending, you know, standing up and uniting with your countrymen, you know, I believe in uh, things like freedom, really. (laughs) And it's funny because these are people that like, um, it spent a lot of time with me and I've always been the same person I am today. You know, when it comes to, when it comes to being left alone and when it comes to freedom, when it comes to that sort of thing, I'm very passionate about it. I'm extremely passionate about it. In fact, it's like, um, I, uh, the final epiphany to me with astrology, cause like I said earlier is like, what can you do with it? I don't even see how you can use it. Now I see how you can use it because if you're into controlling other people, if you're into exploiting and manipulating other people to your benefit, then astrology probably maybe, maybe, my astrology maybe does, which will show you who are the ones that will just do whatever you tell them to do or believe whatever you tell them. I don't know. I'm not trying to be mean you know, and I'm not trying to say I'm like a great person because I don't want to control anyone. I just, you know, what it is. At a very young age, I understood the golden rule. At a very under, at a very young age, I understood Christ in the sense of I understood the value of love and compassion. And the main reason it's not because I'm a great person. It's because I'm a selfish person because the main reason from a very young age, my inner child just wants to be left alone. That's my inner child. My inner child is leave me alone. I got my own thing going on. You know, I got an interesting life here. Me and God, we got it going on. Plenty of things to do. Don't need to be bothered or messed with, especially messed with. Like since I was a very, it probably has to do with young experiences, but, uh, Mess with me once is enough. That's the crossing the line right there. That's 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 a serious uh, felony. <laughs> crossing the line in any way. So that's why I love um, the idea of freedom and leaving other people alone because it's like, oh, that's all you got to do is leave other people alone, and then people will leave you alone. Pff, easy peasy, man. Like like, why do I want to mess with anyone? I don't understand that. Maybe that is part of the evolutionary astrology. I wouldn't define it as that, but I would, I would, I think for years, I just always imagined there are just some savages among us that don't, that haven't figured these things out yet. So they're just operating like reptilians or maybe they are reptilians. I don't know. We're going to get interesting with Bix. I think that's where we're going right now. No further ado. We're going to have a final goodbye at the end. And ladies and gentlemen, the phone, the full entire interesting phone conversation that I just had last Thursday with Mr. Bix Weir. All right. Excellent. I just, excellent. all right, cool. 
Sorry How about are that. You? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm real good. It's good to talk to you. Thanks for uh, agreeing to have a conversation. Absolutely. Um, lots going on these days. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my, there's a, a, it's an incredible time to be alive, as everyone is saying. <laughs> True. No matter what happens. No matter what happens. Yeah, it's a... Uh, uh, just to be here to witness it, it makes you, it makes me often kind of think about that whole thing in, in itself, like the word witness and what that means to witness something because it's true. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, it seems like we're all just witnessing some theater, you know? Absolutely. And I, it's funny because sometimes it's so easy to see through and sometimes it just angers you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think probably one of the most important things a uh, person could skills a person could have um, gained around this time is the ability to not get too triggered emotionally. True. You know? I agree. Well, I get mad. I get triggered. A lot of <laughs> stuff makes me angry. The mo- you know, I'll tell you what though. I just started following you. Um, I think I, I think I caught on to you this time around through wall street silver. All uh-huh. I do in my free time is watch videos on financial stuff in the federal reserve bank uh, but I think you've been doing this for a while because I think I remember hearing videos from you from like 10, maybe even 12, 15 years ago. Is that right? Um, the subject? Well, the the subject, I've been working on this uh, since uh, 2000. So like 22 years. Okay, yeah, right on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, but uh, YouTube, I, yeah, I used to do interviews with other people. I think my first one was 2010. Okay. I'm guessing probably I used to watch uh, back then I was into rents.com a lot and I'm guessing yeah. probably through rents and uh, that was a, yeah, I, yeah I did an interview with uh, SGT report Sean back then okay right on right on but that's, uh, a, that's I a long time your, ago yeah a long time ago and I don't remember any of the wishes or rainbows back then although I might have caught it back then I I'm uh I grew up with a good buddy of mine who um was really into stuff like this. Like I remember years ago, back then he was, he was telling me all about the birth certificate and oh, uh, yeah. money. Yeah. And, and a lot of, he was involved in a group that met in a church basement led by a guy named Jack Smith in Ohio or, or outside of Cleveland where I grew up. And, uh, and money, I think is every Monday night I, I went a couple of times and, uh, and these, you know, they're trying to crack the code and, you know, my buddy had luck actually discharging credit card debt or something with it, but I didn't understand that part of it. I, I didn't understand the idea that there was some type of account or anything like that accessible, but it definitely opened my eyes to sort of the hidden occulted nature of economics. And there's, there's almost a very spiritual aspect to the money system. It, it would seem to me almost as, almost as if there is an honor system from the get go that recognizes that you are a, we're all children of God here. And so the only way it's like a game. I, I would agree. I, although I'd, I'd say it's more uh spiritual warfare right now. <laughs> yeah. More like a scam than a game, but uh, you know, anyways. Um, yeah. So uh, the stuff about Greenspan, you, you got me doing some research cool. before the conversation. I was researching like his past with Ann Rand and, um, you know, it's funny sometimes I, uh, for work, what I do, the biggest bulk of my work is research, trying to make sure I get the story right. And a lot of times when I fact check my own 
story, you know, what I've been saying, I'll find that I was wrong. I have a pretty good gut feeling though. And usually I can, um, usually that doesn't happen. Usually once I get into the fact checking, I'm finding what I thought I'd find. And and I noticed that with you, you, there's something about you that's very trustworthy. And even though you weren't laying out all the sources, you were just saying like, you know, Greenspan had a relation, a very strong relationship with Ayn Rand and Greenspan was a uh, big into silver and gold. And I've been repeating those things just because I'm like, I'm like, I trust Bix, you know, but uh, <laughs> just this past couple of days, I dug into those things to make sure that, you know, they're actually there. Yeah. Then, yeah, that's an interesting rabbit hole. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, uh, where you want to start? Like, I mean, the, the, to me, the, the most interesting part is, is his background and how he ended up at the fed. Right. I mean, that's, I think that's an interesting part to start, but, but you're the, yeah, I think I, I think if we start by talking about you know what the mainstream thinks of him versus what he was really doing. Yeah, you know, I, I was just watching some videos that I made back around the, those <laughs> two thousand five days. I had some videos that occasionally got uploaded to Rents dot com, and they were sort of like goofy music videos on conspiracy theory. But I I I noticed Greenspan was like a a huge star of almost all my videos. You know, I had him in there. All the Dave D's. I don't know if you're familiar with Dave D's. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, I basically used all of his Greenspan artwork in my videos like over yeah. and over again. So he was a huge, as far as the mainstream story, he's definitely a bad guy. But it's interesting in his interviews because, like I said, I was watching, I was, I was going back. His, he just seems like a, a bit strange in his interviews, you know, like uh, either totally dumb or something. <laughs> or he's hiding something. Or he's hiding something. Or, Maybe he's just letting certain things out. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I've I've spent a good ten years diving into that guy's head, so I think I I think I know where he is. Okay. We can just we can we can go from there. Yeah. So, okay. So he was. I've been saying from what I heard you say, he's a protege of Anne Rand. Is that a fair thing to say? And and what's that story? Like he was he actually was like published in some of her books, I believe. Correct. Yeah. From, from the very early days. Well, he really got into Ayn Rand's philosophy, objectivism, and he was part of what she called her inner circle. They, uh, as a joke, they called it the collective. Um, but there was a, a group of, I think it was like 20 people and he was definitely on the inside with her. A lot of people thought they had a relationship going on as well. Um, but yeah, he was definitely into um, her philosophy, free markets, laissez-faire economics, um, completely the opposite of what most of the world sees him as, which is um, <clears throat> the head of the Federal Reserve from 87 to 2006. Um, he was that, but the question is, you know, is everybody at the fed evil is, is the fed out to get humanity, um, and, and people within the fed. And that's where kind of, I, I was back before 2007, I was absolutely, you know, Greenspan's a bad guy and the feds horrible. They're trying to destroy humanity and, um, it wasn't until January 1st of 2007 when I found the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of Boston uh, little comic books that they they posted that day that I, you know, everything changed in my head. And I, I 
spent five years researching what was really going on. Are you caught that comic by the day, the day they posted it? The very, it was, <laughs> this is the amazing thing. And, and this is, uh, this is a spiritual thing for me. I was there. I was working with the gold antitrust action committee, Bill Murphy and the guys over at GATA. And we were trying to expose the fed for rigging the gold and silver markets. And so I was digging through the archives of all the fed. There's, I think, I think there's what, 12, 12 fed, uh, uh, cities where they have their own archives. And in going through those archives, I started at the, in, the the New York fed and they had comic books there. I'm like, that's weird. You know, there's comic books at the, at the federal reserve. Um, but then on January 1st of 2007, I remember it cause it was a uh, new year's day. I had a hangover. I was at the fed Boston website and the day before this comic was not there. And I swear that that day they had posted it. And that comic book was called wishes and rainbows. And it's in their educational portion of their website. It's called Wishes and Rainbows. It had a big red exclamation point after it. I, the size of the font was double the size of everything else. And with it, they posted a teacher's guide called The Road to Ruta, a teacher's guide. And then also there was a pamphlet called Banking Basics. And it was that day that I, I'm like, this is so bizarre. First of all, the Fed even having a comic book made me scratch my head and said, what are they trying to indoctrinate our kids? And that's where my mind went instantly. But then I read this comic book and, and parts of it are frightening for a little kid. I mean, it's talking about the these big people who are trying to stomp on these little people and squish them. And um, a lot in there about gold and silver and the necessity to have gold backing a fiat monetary system. It's really strange that the federal reserve bank would put that out. Yeah, I agree. I, I know the, the, I'm pretty sure the federal reserve in Cleveland has like a wizard of Oz um, display for like the public tours. I've seen pictures of it. Oh really? But, yeah. And that's, and you, it, it'd be, it's pretty easy to find online. If you search a uh, wizard of Oz, Cleveland fed, I'm sure it'll come up, but um, I've never been there in person, but I've, but I found that to be interesting as well. And um so I wasn't, that's the first thing I thought when I saw the Wishes and Rainbows comic, which is very interesting. And obviously the story it's telling is very obvious. I mean, it's, it, what's, what's, it, it kind of makes it more interesting that it is written for children because it's almost like everyone needs to know this information. This is very important information that's coming up. Well, yeah. And, and when you think about it, um, so the original um, Wishes and Rainbows uh comic book was published in 1981 and that was right when the u.s was thinking about going back to a gold standard because of the inflation situation um it turned out that uh reagan created the gold commission and the the findings they spent i think it was two years studying what should we go back to a gold standard paul volcker was the head of the fed at the time and the ultimate conclusion was, no, we're, we don't need to go back onto a gold standard now, but if we don't get our budgets in order and the deficit under control, um, we will have to go back to it at some point. And obviously, ever since 1981, all they do is the budget has gone through the roof and the, and the deficit has been skyrocketing. So they clearly did not uh, do anything. The exact, they did the exact opposite of trying to get the budgets in order. Yeah. Uh, but, but 
Go ahead. I was just going to say you were able to, so you were able to come up with Alan Greenspan based on wishes and rainbows and the study guide. So yeah, that, that uh, wishes and rainbows, there's, there's a lot to it, but um, there's a, a little girl named Ruta R O O T A is the name of the girl. And she has a grandmother. She lives in a world of no color. She has a grandmother who always wished she uh, could see the lovely colors of Colorland. This is all relating to uh, a um, a fiat money system versus a gold and silver money system, kind of like the allegory in the uh, Wizard of Oz story of the Yellow Brick Road and all that. I'm, I'm sure many of your readers know the uh, the monetary allegory. Uh, related to the Wizard of Oz. But this is, um, you know, it's really odd because when you go back to the 1981 comic book and then in the 2007 comic book, there's only one change that was made to that comic book. And that change was what Ruta wrote in the sand when she was trying to allocate colored flowers to the population. In the 1981 comic book, she wrote an economic formula called On the Road to the Golden Age, which was a 1960s economic formula that uh, said, if you want to go back to a gold standard, you run the monetary system as long and hard as you can, soaking up all the benefits, create roads and bridges and all that until the entire thing blows up. That's where we are now. But they did change it in the 2007 document. And the 2007 Wishes and Rainbows um, comic book, they changed it. The whole formula was gone, and all they wrote in the sand was eleven plus nine, or nine eleven. And I thought it was related to no. 9/11. I, I missed it. Okay, wait. So wait, this 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 is more interesting now. All right. So I must have missed this part of the comic book. So you're saying in the 1981 version of the comic book, she writes in the sand on the road to the golden age, Correct. which you're which you're saying is a reference to, um, an ideology that if you want to get back to the golden age. You need to let the fiat currency run its course. Um, yeah, create as okay. much fiat as possible, yeah. soaking up the benefits of it. You know, build your military, build your houses, build your roads, just like what we did. And then the document was changed to where it said she was writing eleven plus nine in the sand. Yep. And so I thought originally, I thought, holy shit, this is this is related to nine eleven two thousand one, and that was my thinking. Is like you know. What it, to me, it was like, oh, the, this is people within the Fed who know that 9-11 was an inside job and they're going to take down the, the banking cabal who was involved in that and all that. It turns out. So this this uh, comic book was published on January 1st, 2007. It turns out that on 9-11-2008, the, a year and a half later, was the exact day that the Right. Uh, Five hundred billion dollars was pulled out of the monetary system. Um, it wasn't dollars; it was uh, out of the uh, money market funds. And uh, Senator Kanjorski said, "At that moment, we knew we had to bail out the banks, or the entire system would be destroyed." So it was more telling of the future of when the next attack against the banking cabal would be. And let me be clear, because I think I'm confused about this. The uh, the the writing in the sand. This is from Wishes and Rainbows. Yes, the, which was the, the 2007 so, version of it. Oh, the okay, the 2007 version. So, right. What was the 1981 and? Um, so the 1981 version was yeah. the same comic book. They just hired a, a another artist to gotcha. rewrite it, and it's okay. 
It so it first yeah, came out in 2081, and then came out. Then the second version came out in uh, 1981, and then uh, January 1st, 2007. Yeah, gotcha. Wow, I, uh, that's that's to me the fact that it said 11 plus nine a year before 2008. I'm just shocked. I haven't heard this before. You know. Yeah, I, I have a uh, a video, two videos on my website that explain uh, the whole wishes and rainbows you know, comic book and. And that's and the road to ruda.com folks. Yeah. If you want to check that out. Exactly. Um, so back to how I came up with Greenspan, it was this relationship between Ruda, the girl in the, the hero in the comic book and her grandmother. Now I had, I had always thought that Alan Greenspan, you know, he's known as, uh, you know, the, the Fed chairman who created the most bubbles. He created the dot-com bubble. He created the housing bubble that blew up two years after he left. He would always talk in this, this speech. It was really odd um, because he couldn't tell the truth of what he was really doing. And from this comic book, the relationship between the grandmother and Ruta, it got me thinking about Alan Greenspan's relationship with a guy named Arthur Burns. And Arthur Burns was the head of the Federal Reserve System um, from 2000 or 1970 to 1978. He was the head of the Fed, but he was also Greenspan's advisor when he went to um, Columbia grad school. Now, this, this is where it gets really interesting because I didn't know much about Greenspan other than the Ayn Rand stuff and the Fed stuff. And I started digging into who was Greenspan, and he was actually the one of the first and the best computer programmers ever in the, in, in the world, literally. His, his best friend, Alan Greenspan's best friend in high school, was a guy named John Kimeny. Now, John Kimeny was probably the, the smartest mathematician on the planet. He, did, he was Einstein's mathematician. He invented a computer, a shareable computer a program called basic and anybody who's been around computers for a long long time knows that basic was the first computer program you learn like in college in the 70s and 80s and it was the first shareable computer uh computer language and alan greenspan used basic and then other computer programming languages to create the electronic monetary system in the 1960s that's how far back Alan Greenspan actually blames himself for Y2K because he only programmed in two digits instead of four. Okay. So um, this guy, when you think yeah. about it, his, his connection to Arthur Burns, the head of the fed through the seventies, Alan Greenspan was named the uh, head of the council of economic advisors in 1974. And behind the scenes, all he did was computer market rigging. First, developing the first computer programs for banking and then controlling it through computer trading programs that he wrote in the 60s and 70s. And that's why he was put as the head of the Fed in 1987. In 1987, nobody thought Greenspan would be put as head of the Fed because Greenspan was a huge gold bug. He was a gold advocate. He wanted to go back to a gold standard. And Ronald Reagan put him as the head of the Fed, and he served as head of the Fed for, I think, the second longest ever for 20 years. Reagan put him in there. And uh, you were just saying, allegedly, in 81, Reagan was talking about 
possibly going back to a gold standard. Oh, not not just the possibility. He he hired. There's about I think there's about twenty of the best economic uh, economists in the world to do a, a report called the Gold Commission. Do a report on whether or not we should go back to a gold standard. It's a huge report. Um, and then uh, Ron Paul wrote the opposition to the conclusions. He said, here's why we do have to go back to a gold standard. Um, so really, really interesting stuff. But Alan Greenspan absolutely the entire time was not only the biggest gold bug in the world, but had an inside track at setting up the the electronic financial system of the world. And then through his contacts at uh, the Federal Reserve Bank, being the head of the Fed, Arthur Burns, who was his, his, his mentor, uh, got to implement computer trading programs that, I mean, literally these programs are still running today, controlled by uh, the Exchange Stabilization Fund, which is a basically run out of the New York Fed um, that basically rigs all the markets, 100% legal to rig the gold and silver market for the U.S. government. And they got that um, power through the 1934 Gold Act, which gave the um, the Fed, or actually gave the U.S. Treasury, the power to rig any market as long as it was in support of the U.S. dollar. Right, and that's yeah, and that explains a lot. Um, interesting. So, this computer software that Greenspan developed and they and they, and they use because when you think about it like um i remember i took macroeconomics and i remember learning basically that um that the way they can control inflation is the buying and selling of treasury bonds or something like that and then i have also understood that they can change the um they can print more money and they can change the interest rates and then these are their main bag of tricks and then of course war and uh just going and defeating uh, whoever's challenging your your dollars or or any other ways of hoisting the dollar up. But what that I was, I think I think that was true until uh, the development of derivatives. That's my now, next question. What, I was just going to say the one thing I don't understand is derivatives. Like I understand by definition, it reminds me basically of the other thing I learned in macroeconomics was that. Uh, the purpose of writing a bond on another bond is simply just to make it look more legit. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's basically the whole point. And so the, when I look at the word derivatives, that's what my mind is thinking is it's just a certain like m layers are being created to make something look real. That that's just BS or something. Could you explain in to a layman or in like what the derivatives market is? Well, the best way to think about it, is um, a derivative is a a side bet on a real asset. So I would I would call a bond. Some would call a bond a derivative, but I would call it a real asset. It, it it's a it is a an IOU written by someone like the U.S. government, a government bond. It's an IOU. They say they're going to pay a certain amount of interest over time. That would, I would call that thing a real asset. The derivatives on that asset are swaps. Their their options. Their futures. All the things that are traded on these crazy exchanges that determine the value of that underlying asset. Just like with gold and silver, when you think about the price of silver or the price of gold, you think, oh, you know, you have an ounce of gold and that's what it's worth. That 
price is determined by the derivative markets, which trade in the hundreds to 200 to 300 times the amount of the underlying asset. So, for example, the COMEX, which is the uh, commodity exchange where gold and silver are traded, the every year the um, the COMEX will trade about a hundred billion, a hundred billion ounces of silver derivatives. Now, when you put that in context of how much silver there is available in the world, there's only about six billion ounces available if you count everything in the history of mankind. Only 60 billion ounces have ever been mined. So what are they doing trading 100 billion ounces every single year? They use these derivative trades to set the price so that what you're dealing with on a physical level is not the real price of silver and gold. That is a price that they they trade these derivatives back and forth in unlimited quantities. There is no limit on the amount of derivatives they can trade. That's why the derivative market now is estimated to be Two quadrillion dollars, which is which is such a ridiculous amount. So what is it? I mean, it's you're it's you're it when you're first defining it, it sounds like it's speculations. So it's almost like it's gambling on what the price is going to be in the future or something. Is that anywhere close? Yeah, we all there's a lot of there's many different kinds of derivatives, but but for uh for gold and silver, yeah, it's it's uh futures and options. So you're if you have a futures contract, that's a derivative. So you're betting that the price of silver will be $25 on January 1st, 2023. That would be a standalone derivative contract. And so they've for, turned bets into assets, basically. Well, they've turned the derivative market. Yeah. Well, some people will call them assets, but the problem with derivatives is the counterparties. So for this entire thing to stay together, these these two quadrillion dollar market of crazy derivatives being traded back and forth. Um, all it takes is one of these big banks that hold a lot of derivatives to go down, and it wipes everything out because everybody's a counterparty to everybody else. For example, if J.P. Morgan the bank goes down, not only will all the J.P. Morgan customers lose everything they had in the bank, other than the FDIC insurance, but FDIC doesn't have any money to pay out their insurance. Other than that. Every customer who deals with J.P. Morgan and all these banks deal with J.P. Morgan on the derivative side. So if J.P. Morgan goes down, that means Bank of America goes goes down and Citibank goes down and every single bank on the planet goes down and every single exchange goes down. That's everything. All these electronic IOUs that are owed to you, your 401k, your, your checking account, your savings account would all be gone. That's what they're trying to stop from happening but that's it, they can't stop it that that was always the end game when alan greenspan and it was alan greenspan in the late 1990s that really hard he advocated that uh derivatives should not be regulated mm-hmm. at all because he wanted to give them enough rope to hang themselves he wanted to give the bankers he knew they would abuse the derivative market and there is nobody in the world who doubts that, the, that it's been abused now he knew that at some point that will be what Warren Buffett called the weapon of mass financial destruction. That'll take out the bankers and and clear the 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 playing field for everybody. Ultimately, yeah. Did you say there was some type of relationship between the derivatives market and the Fed's uh, habit of starting wars or fighting wars, or was that just something else? I was saying, like I was saying, well, it, uh, 
they yeah they they you were talking about bonds and and how they control the markets um they really don't need anything else once the derivative market got so big that it dominated pricing of of the US treasury for example or and when did that trade. happen when did it dominate it, the it was like the mid 90s to okay. early 2000s that's when the the derivative bubble really started to blow i think it was you know, it was a couple billion dollars back then and now it's two quadrillion quadrillion um, and they use derivatives. They use these exchanges that don't trade the real thing to set the price of everything. So we used to have to go to war because of uh, the petrodollar. The petrodollar was set up in the 70s by Kissinger. It made everybody in the world buy oil in U.S. dollars. And that was a deal done with the Saudis. And then the Saudis would reinvest in the stock market. And then everything would be great because the whole world needed to hold U.S. dollars. It created artificial demand for the U.S. dollars. Since the creation of derivatives, that doesn't matter anymore. The the value of the U.S. dollar, everybody's talking about, oh, my God, how can we have a strong dollar when you know we're printing money like it's going out of style? Biden's giving away money. You know, Just today, he gave away, uh, forgave student debt. Yeah. Stuff like that doesn't matter anymore because the derivative market is now the thing that determines um, the price of everything. So, for example, the U.S. dollar is traded on a foreign exchange against all other fiat money, and it's a derivative exchange. You could do futures, options, and, and they trade massively more than what the underlying dollars are to set the price. So it's all done with computers and derivatives these days. So, yeah. Print all the money you want to kingdom come. As long as you can tr- control the derivatives and the exchanges, you can do anything you want. And who controls the derivatives? I still right don't now, really understand. It's, it's the U.S. Exchange Stabilization Fund. Now, the fund is controlled by the head of the Fed, the head of the Treasury, uh, the head of the SEC, and the head of the CFTC. So they got the two regulators in the U.S. This is everybody's taking their cue off the U.S. Yeah. The funny thing is when when they like they talk about Putin. Oh, Putin, you know, he's going to lose the war. Putin knows that he, if he just goes out and buys 50 billion dollars worth of silver, the game is over and the US gets destroyed. Everybody knows how the game works. China knows how the game works. The US creates money and doesn't even tell anybody. It and does seem yeah, it does seem like uh, to me like it's a it's just watching these people destroy themselves. But that's the bigger plan. Again, back to the original Road to Ruta document, what Ruta wrote in the sand in 1981 was that formula on the road to the golden age. If you want to go back to a gold standard, you just say, okay, everybody, you got what you got, and then just uh, we're going to use gold now. No, you print as much money as possible and soak up all the benefits. The United States, look at all the housing we've built since 1981 or since 1913 when the fed you know was created and then we can get to why the fed was created i have another theory on that but the the reality is print as much as you can for as long as you can soak up all the benefits because at the end of the day no one's going to pay anybody back and the whole system's going to implode and you're going to end up with whatever physical assets you have on the road to the golden age. That's definitely something I'm going to look up um, after this phone call. But what is that that it's ref- that she's writing in the sand that she's referring to? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, it gets back to 
in the 1960s, there was a big question on whether or not um, we should allow the gold standard to continue. There was like a modified gold standard in the 1960s. Um, the U.S. citizen was not allowed to own gold in the 1960s. And we didn't uh, become allowed till I think, 1974, which is really odd in today's day and age with globalization and all that. Um, but it, it happened. They, they nationalized uh, gold in 1933. And then um, the banks were in control of the gold. And then because we were spending so much money on Vietnam, um, the French started pulling their gold out of the United States. And, and that's when Nixon shut off the gold window. So all these things were going on in the 1960s of they were even thinking about going back to a true gold standard, meaning you think you'd go into a bank for a gold coin. You can cash your, your fiat money in for a gold coin at any point in time. Each bill would have to be backed by gold um, because nobody trusted anybody anymore. And clearly nobody trusts anybody now that when Nixon went off the gold standard, that was it. Nobody, all, all, uh, all countries and all monetary systems were just playing off each other to see who could survive. And the, the, the entity that would survive and do the best was the people who controlled the value of that underlying currency, not necessarily by you know tightening, tightening your belt, but by rigging the market so that you have the most powerful currency. And that's what the United States did. So on the road to the golden age was a an economic formula written by he wasn't a Nobel Prize winner, but he was on the board of who decides what, who wins the Nobel Prize. So it was, it was so big that they said, okay, you're going to be on the board. Uh, I forgot the guy's name, uh, Berlin Nosland or something. He was a, a European guy. Um, so that was one of the theories, but it was based off a, a theory called the golden rule of economics. Now, the golden rule of economics is a theory from the 60s as well that said no um, generation should put the next generation into debt. It is immoral to do that. And um, so that was the idea. It's like, no, we shouldn't pass on debt to your kids. What the hell are we thinking? And they have this big economic formula with all these numbers that show it's better not to do that. Um, so a lot of these things were based off that. And then Alan Greenspan... Uh, during that time, was writing these computer programs to create the financial system. And I think, I think what his, there's a big mystery with Alan Greenspan and his thesis. Um, he got a doctorate degree. He got a lot of honorary doctorate degrees, but he got a doctorate degree from New York University. And you're, you're required to write a thesis. And he wrote one, but nobody's ever seen it. Well, one one Baron saw it once. Baron's the the magazine saw it once, and but they weren't allowed to publish anything, and they were only allowed to read a part of it. And it's like, why would I mean a doctorate thesis is supposed to be held at the university for other people to use as research? Yeah. Why Why would this? Uh, I think it was called the road to Ruda and Ruda Route A, and other the thing I didn't talk much about was the, the name root a always struck me as something weird. Um, and when I found out what it was, it, it all makes sense. Root a is a, is the prime position on a computer programming, um, software called basic. 
And this is what Alan Greenspan wrote the first banking programs off. So root A was the root base of the banking system. And then below that would be checking and savings. And, and I found this on an old IBM uh, programming manual. Um, otherwise, root A was nowhere to be found in the world. I didn't know what it was. But when I found that, I'm like, oh, I get it now. So root A being the prime source, the prime mover of our entire financial system. Right now, it's nothing. But in in Alan Greenspan's mind, root A should be gold. That every financial system should be based on on gold at that time. Oh, you're saying so like in, in basic computer language, root yes. A is synonymous with like foundational yeah. or, or yeah when in the early days when they were writing computer programs uh, they they did like a, a a tree root type structure you have root a and then you have root b c d and uh right gotcha. all the way down. but root a is the is how you type in the fundamental i mean that makes sense it actually sounds root is yeah. a i mean already it sounds it's like the first root. The, yeah. yeah well and then and you look into like i said i just did a pretty brief uh, research into Greenspan, and yeah, you'll find he he was he was um, a zealot. I think you could even say with the gold money. Which- oh yeah, he he wrote he wrote this this um, paper called uh, "Golden Economic Freedom," that the gold bugs just said, "Oh my God, this is so correct." And what he his final conclusion he called it the shabby secret of the status was deficit spending and inflation because that steals the wealth. Of everybody else in the world. By creating more money, you're diluting the value of everything else. Everybody has ever worked for in history is being diluted because you are creating more money than um than the society needs or should have. And we're learning that now. Like that's 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 what's kind of compelling about the story is like everyone, especially, you know, I would imagine the younger people that that don't, you know, they're learning. They're they're seeing they're learning firsthand what fiat currency is all about. Yeah, and it's wonderful. I and I'm, I mean I've been fighting this fight for you know 22 years now, and I I walk around and people talk about fiat money and th- that was unheard of a couple of years ago. Yeah, not it wasn't that long ago that people were. I mean I voted for Ron Paul four times, and I think Ron Paul did a lot to bring the younger crowd into the knowledge of of the the shabby secret the the fact that. Um, the socialists want to dilute the money supply to basically abscond of the wealth of, of every human. Just think about working your whole life and you're ready to retire. And last year, in the last year, eight, what it was, inflation is 8.6. So 8.6% of the value of your retirement is gone. And it's gone because they printed too much money. That's just, it's shocking to think that way that, you know, most people didn't get an 8.6% raise in the last year. And if you did, if you got an 8% raise, you're still losing 0.6% of the value of everything you worked for your whole life. You know what I don't understand though, is I don't understand the, because when, when you look at Greenspan as in this light, and it does make sense, like in, you know, there's one interview I just saw where he's like, well, we don't have to worry because we can just print more money. You know the yeah, guy's not a you know the guy's not a dope, but he says the funny it, it, when you're looking at him with a suspicious mind in this light. I recommend people do that. Go look up some of his old interviews because he does say some interesting things. When you keep in mind like what his role might be, 
But here's what I wonder now is maybe this maybe this is just frustrating, but you know you hear it, it makes you think of the 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 thing everyone says lately: white hats. There are white hats behind the scenes. Yep. Okay, so who are these white hats though? Because um, it still makes me feel like. Um, like we're slaves on a plantation. Like, like, I mean, the reason I say that is just simply because, you know, I met, um, I don't know. I met like general Michael Flynn and a lot of people, uh, might say that he's one of these white hats or something like that. But I can tell you from, unless, unless these people are just brilliant actors, he, he seems like he equally has no friggin' idea what's going on. And he just hopes for the best for his country. And he just seems like everyone else I meet that are just like concerned humans that want uh want the best and so who are they are they uh well i'm dying to know like i uh a lot of people i I tend to think there's a non-human element to this whole thing but you know that's that's just where i go i guess i have uh i uh, I, no i i I agree with you that i mean this is this battle is being fought here and and above and and yes on every level in between um but but there are I would say the most powerful white hats and there are, I mean, I believe there's white hats in the military, people who are out for the good of the United States of America. I think there's white hats in, in the fed. I think there's a white house in the, in the treasury. Um, I think that, I I think that only makes sense. I think that is, you know, there was a time when I think the paranoia was getting to me where I had the feeling of like, no, they're just all out to get us. But then you get to a point, like uh, Robert Anton Wilson said, uh, you know, Chapel Perilous, you come out the other end, either an agnostic or a paranoid. And, you know, I'm an agnostic. I don't know what's going on. Like I said, I don't know who these white hats are, these black hats are. It does look good. And I do understand the idea of of letting it run its course and letting the entire world feel, you know, what fiat currency feels like so yeah. that we never, ever do it again. I do understand that. But, it, it, it's almost but, like the best way to teach a child. Yeah, but here's the problem. Because we've been doing that for so long, since 1913, we've been trying to teach everybody how bad this thing is. So many horrific things have happened. I mean, just since 1913, the creation of the Fed. Oh, so you're saying that you even think the creation of the Fed was part of this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it it goes back. I mean, if you look at the Wishes and Rainbow uh, comic book, where does where does Ruta find all the the golden rays of sunlight? Is in the caves of Cobble, Cobblestone Canyon. I've I've done a ton of research into the gold they found in in the Grand Canyon in the early 1900s. In the early 1900s, they found billions and billions and billions of ounces of gold in the in the creek beds in caves. 95 percent of the Grand Canyon, you're not allowed to go into this. Yeah, day. now that's a whole other subject that I've I know. Been, it, I've, I've I learned that from you. Too and and that leads down. Uh, I would love to do a report on this once I figure it out. But that leads down a whole rabbit hole of how like there used to be like Egyptian pharaohs here and uh, all kinds of crazy Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely, yep. I wouldn't call an Egyptian though, right? <laughs> just exactly. just because. I mean, the more you you learn about how many civilizations have been here before us, um, before you know it before the last fifteen thousand years when we supposedly get became civilized it's it's astounding that that we think we can uh we can't build these pyramids most of the pyramids today with our gigantic machinery how did they do it you know 10,000 years ago so clearly there's some other uh either 
human technologies that we have lost or off-planet technologies that came in. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's what I tend to, I mean, I tend to suspect that. It's it. I want to hear before you, I'm just going to say this before I ask you, but I want to hear your take on how the Fed was part of this. But the first thing I think of is, for example, like the, the same characters, like the Rockefellers, the same characters behind oil and big pharma are now, have now like, they they didn't have to make such a mess out of it. They could have done things differently, but instead they made it so messy and now it's being experienced as a as a bad thing almost as a as a as a very reckless destructive thing it's it's just interesting to me once again this gives, this makes me very suspicious and and confused as to what's really going on you know there there there's a playbook that i don't understand but explain why you think and i guess it kind of makes sense already like it just what we were saying already that the fed was created as a way of of demonstrating the destruct the the fool the foolishness and destructiveness of having your money backed by nothing well yes and no i mean the original construction of the fed uh gr griffith's great book creature from jekyll island got everything right except one thing and that was the motivation to do it the reason the federal reserve was created and the reason woodrow wilson signed the act to create the fed was because of the gold they found in the grand canyon because at the time, there was only 130 million ounces of gold circulating as money in the United States. And about uh, three, it's about 300 million in the world. And then they find billions and billions of ounces in the Grand Canyon. That would disrupt not only the economic system, the social system. It would disrupt everything. So they made that decision to lock up the gold in the Grand Canyon and, and create the Fed to create, you know, which created fiat money, and we've been living that lie ever since. That explains it. So the the gold, what, how did they find the gold? Was it just in natural like? Well, things? there's there's a few places. I mean, there is gold, placer gold, which is like the little specks of gold, like they find in Alaska now. You know, they're they're mining all this gold in Alaska with dredges. Um, it's all up and down the Colorado River, but there were some two yeah, or three are finding it everywhere in the water. Oh yeah. There's two or three huge deposits that um, they even built. This is back in, in 1909, 1908. They built a gigantic steamship in San Francisco. There was no roads. That, you know, they, they had to take a railroad and then uh, wagon and buggy and, and carry it on their backs and assemble it in the Grand Canyon because they were doing hydraulic mining of this mountainside that had massive amounts of placer gold in it. And really interesting stuff. I've been to the site. Woodrow Wilson shut it down. Two years after it got running, the word was getting out. It was in the uh, New York Times. I still have, if you go to roadtoruda.com in the resources section, I still have the article in the New York Times, you know, massive amounts of gold found in the Grand Canyon. But they shut it down. The it, really interesting thing is that this, this huge um, steamship that they, I mean, it, Bringing a steamship in in the early 1900s from San Francisco into the middle of the Grand Canyon is like us today putting a, a mining equipment on Mars. That's pretty much what yeah. the, the cost was of doing this. So clearly it was huge. And then not only that, in the 1990s, the, the USGS, the U.S. Geological Society, th this, this rotting hull, the metal... Uh, the steam pot of the of the steamship 
is still there in the the bank of the Colorado River, right at Lee's Ferry. And they made it into a national underground uh, historical monument. And it, it's so strange unless you know the, the history of what that area is and what that area holds. And there's all kinds of things like that. Um, the the Navajo Nation, the creation of the, you know, the, the gaming, casino gaming for the Native Americans is all because of the Grand Canyon gold that, that was on their property. And the U.S. said, hey, we're going to leave this here for later, but we're going to get you guys some money by giving you the ability to, you know, run these casinos on, on your property. So all kinds of things like that. Um, and then Kincaid's cave, you can read about that. Um, what was their gold in that cave as well? They talked about the mummies and the, the Egyptian artifacts, but, and, and you look at the Grand Canyon, every single one of those mountains is named after an Egyptian um, God or uh, an Egyptian pyramid. And they all look like pyramids, like ancient destroyed pyramids. So I would love to go to the Grand Canyon and explore these places, but you're not allowed. Yeah, that that alone is crazy. I didn't know that until, I mean, I guess I heard that years ago, because I remember years ago hearing that they found uh, dozens of tall pharaohs, like uh, buried mummies that were like nine feet tall or something like that. And right. they, they, they found so many you know, hidden his and it like treasure hoards, gigantic treasure rooms in the Grand Canyon, things like that. Wow. All all this waits for us after. See, that's the other thing when you're talking about, you know, why are they doing it? Are they trying to teach us lessons? We're at the point now where both I say both the good guys and the bad guys want the system to crash, the e- economic system. The good guys want it to crash because they want to get rid of the bad guys and start a new sound system. The bad guys want to crash because they want to get rid of all the crimes they've committed and they want to go away and then take control of everything. Put us on like a a CBDC and control our lives. I get the feeling that's all that's happening is as long as they get to reset the board and start over again, that's all anyone cares about. But I I think that's up to us. At the end of the day, I think the crash is going to happen. There'll be people to blame for it, and then it's up to us to decide what we want to do going forward. Do we go into their arms and let them create some ridiculous CBDC or a new fiat money, or would we just go back to our constitutional money, gold and silver? It's already there in the books. We don't even have to do anything. Yeah, I think in order to get there, all things considered, we need to be willing to go off the reservation and to uh, and to tell all these white hats and black hats both look, we're going to just, you know, figure out how it's not hard. We're going to figure out how to do it. You know, um, I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll get to get to experience it. I think in the, in the, and I, I, think, I think, so. that's, what's amazing. I think, coming up. Yeah. I think we're coming. I think keep an eye on this September 11th, the September timeframe seems to be uh, a time that they want to pull the, you know, the plug on at some point, because you don't want to do it in the winter because, you know, a lot of people will be out in the street. Right. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I guess they, they want, it has to be destroyed. You want it, to, you want it done right. And you also want to uh, do it with, without causing as, you know, as little damage as possible. Right. It's fascinating stuff. Uh, and this is why I've been telling everyone, like once it hit home to me that, um, that the federal reserve bank was probably not going to survive this. And the dollar was probably not going to survive this year, even, and uh, that's that's just it might be more of a hope than a belief, but at least I believe that that's very possible. Mainly because, like I was saying earlier, all I do is, in my free time is listen to uh, 
financial pundits. And that's basically what everyone's saying. And it might say, and that to me is good news. Before then I was in some pretty dark days. I was, I didn't see any really good, any, any, any time in the near future, but that I think, because that, what that does is it gives us the opportunity we need to fix everything. I don't think we're it gets rid of the debt. Well, it gets rid of the debt and it creates problems. It creates problems to be solved. And I think humans, if there's one thing that humans are good at, humans are really good at solving problems. That's a unifier. That's kind of the one thing we almost need to uh, rise up and become the thing that we need to become. I think, you know, that's how I, I agree that that I mean, from the left and the right, that's the huge unifier is the banking system collapse. Because everybody's going to be angry at our government and our banks, which are the people they should be angry at. And we're all going to find that we all we're all going to learn we want the same things. Oh, we all want power. We all want food. We all want an opportunity to make money. Okay, easy, you know. And we know how to we know how to do all those things. We don't need you know we don't need to accept any offers from the same people that have been getting us in these messes our whole life. And they would need an army to stop us from building something new and they don't have that, you know, they don't, they're trying to hire all these IRS agents, but they don't have maybe in New York, maybe New York city won't look good, you know, but the majority if, of the world, if the, banks, is, if the banks crash, there is no IRS. Right. Exactly. Well, that's that when, if the, if the banks crash, it's the Ron Paul revolution. If we want it, all we got to do is build back the way we all, we all yep. know is right. Here's yep. another question is, you know, what uh, bricks are doing, which is basically, I mean, that's, you could argue that's 80% of the world's population is now siding with a, a new potential reserve currency. It looks like they're going to back it with gold and silver. And no, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think, uh, I don't think they want a world's reserve currency. Um, any backing because trust will be gone when the banks go. And, and, you know, if, if the banks go in the U S the banks go everywhere on the world. So they're not going to have a, you know, the, the bricks aren't going to be still standing. Um, the, the backing of a currency with gold and silver will never happen again because it has to be redeemable. And so it has to be actual gold and silver. You're saying the actual gold and silver that you can cash in because everybody's going to lie about the amount yeah. of gold and silver they have. Yeah. Someone just showed me, uh, like a, like a note like a bill, but it's actually made out of gold and it's got, yeah, I've seen those, but that's, I mean, truthfully, that's, that's physical gold. It's like a hundredth of an ounce of gold that's spray painted on there. Yeah. I, I think that's so expensive to make that. I don't think it'll be, I mean, I would probably Do you see crypto. Okay. We can't mention, we can't wrap the story up without <laughs> mentioning that you suspect Alan Greenspan and his team might actually be Satoshi Nakamoto. That's well, one of the best, uh, suggestions i've heard to me to me when i was studying greenspan he would be the most likely candidate being that he had 50 years of uh computer programming banking experience and he's really the only guy on the planet at the time well satoshi said he spent two years working on this and the white paper came out two years after greenspan left the fed uh, but also i mean alan greenspan is was and I don't know now, he's like 96 now, but was the world's best computer programmer, financial computer programmer back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, the entire time. 
I mean, it's, it's not like he stopped learning. He did the exact opposite. He was always learning and always writing these new computer programs. He was really interested in the, um, the, the potential to have a decentralized electronic money. Um, now, he has made comments on Bitcoin. He said, ah, oh, it's crazy, it's crazy, it's crazy. But that's Alan Greenspan. He's going to sure. say shit like that. It's like uh, Warren Buffett saying, "Yeah, oh, you know, gold's got gold's not any good. You just you bury it back in the ground after you pull it out of the ground." Now, Buffett is is another guy who's one of the good guys looking to take out the banking cabal. His dad, Buffett's dad, wanted he was a congressman, very powerful congressman from Nebraska. He almost got the the United States to go back under a gold standard in the in the forties. And Buffett idolizes his dad. So I think there's something going on right now with Warren Buffett and the the gigantic silver hoard that J.P. Morgan was forced to give up. i got to look into that more, too. What do you think of crypto in the future of uh, I, I think I think crypto is is the future of, yeah. uh, of money and and of of it's not just money, though. It's it's technology. It's uh, it's it's payment systems. It's. It's social systems. It's, I mean, a decentralized, it's such an amazing invention. Um, it's like creating gold from thin air, but giving it a cap on how many Bitcoin, there'll only be 21 million Bitcoin ever made. And that the big problem, like with going back to a gold standard, we don't know how much gold there is. I mean, that's the biggest problem I see is, I mean, uh, the, the mainstream will tell you there's 200,000 tons that's ever been mined in gold. But I know there's over a million tons and it's found all around the world. And then we lock it up in, you know, uh, military reserves and uh, national parks. So uh, but but back to cryptos. Yes, I do think the uh, the metaverse, as they're the, the latest is calling, is coming. It's going to take longer than they say, because it's technologically it's difficult to do. We don't have the bandwidth for everything to go online. but. You know, you can't stop it. And any country that tries to put up rules and regulations against cryptocurrencies will instantly implode and be way behind the rest of the world because that's what the people want. The cryptos can be a decentralized form of governance, all kinds of things. And we're going to need that when these our current government goes away. And it is going away. Yeah, I... um. I believe that um, we can restore trust. I think if there's enough transparency in the future and enough justice is served and punishment, I believe end time. And and I think if everyone gets involved in the whole drama, which is inevitably going to happen, I can see getting to a place with trust. And I've heard a lot of people suggest uh, the idea. Tell me if this sounds right, because I might have been mishearing it. But I thought like I've heard a lot of people saying, we could just have the silver and gold mines develop their basic, their, their own crypto card, you know, like instead of a, a ATM card, you can buy physical gold and silver, keep it yourself or choose to keep it in the, in the mines vaults. Cause they're going to already have the vault space. And then now you have a very simple system of money and then they can, the mines can then compete with each other in the free market, you know, competing for people's trust and serviceability well, there is problems with that in that the the current if the if the mines are public right now, the uh, stock market the stocks for those mines have been rehypothecated ten times. So for every one share, there's ten legal owners 
of that share. So that's a mess as well. So I don't know if the mines will do it. It might be the government. It might be the government nationalizes all the mines and says, okay, we're gonna go, we have to nationalize everything because the people have nothing and we've decided to use gold and silver as money. And yeah, we can you can do it off debit cards, but you can because nobody trusts anybody, you can come into a bank and take your physical gold and silver in, in out of out of your bank, out of your local bank. There's no more uh, fractional reserve money. There's no more fiat money. Well, that leads me to I think my final question, Fix. This is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to this myself because I'm gonna I have notes in front of me, but there's a few things I think I missed. This is interesting, especially I got to get back into that Grand Canyon story. That is just that's <laughs> right up my alley, man. But um, final thing is we're definitely in this great reset. There's no turning back at this point. We're we're uh, we're not going back to the way it was. We're in the, we're in the great crash, shall we say? We're in a great crash, exactly. And so final question, and this is, I, you know, I think for most people paying attention, I think if they're listening to just this conversation alone, I think they're starting to understand why gold and silver are especially good things to have as far as investment reasons, not just for security reasons. Mm -hmm. So the reason I brought up BRICS was because even if um, BRICS was planning on doing a reserve currency backed on gold and silver. They can't really do anything about it right now because the United States is the reserve. Like they can't do anything until we're not the reserve currency. So, and this is one of the reasons why war is scary because uh, it seems to me almost like the international community has a valid excuse to invade America at this point, because the games that are playing that are being played in the federal reserve bank are having real life consequences on the rest of the world economies and it has to be has to be brought has to be stopped you know there, there's in the name of world peace so i guess the question is 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 that inevitable like in, in this great in this great crash is the resetting of gold and silver to where they should be is that an absolute inevitable factor of of the equation no matter which way it goes like is there any way is there any future where they can continue lying about the the real value of gold and silver? Of course. I mean, they've done it for over 100 years. So, yes, they, they can continue this game. Um, the question is, will they be allowed to? And and that's that's where we get to the bad guys wanting to hide their misdeeds. There's so many misdeeds now. I mean, J.P. Morgan just added $10 trillion to their derivative book in the first quarter of this year. That's that's not that's the only hope. The only hope for the, destroying the system um, is going to be the derivative meltdown. And it was created so big so that it would take everything down. I think it's the best thing going in the financial world is the derivative monster that was created because it does have the power to destroy the old system. And I don't know anybody who's going to vote for a bit, another bailout. That happened in two that like happened in two thousand eight. No one's going to agree to having haircuts on their money in the bank. There's going to be anger towards bankers and anger towards government workers. They will all be gone. The the deciders of our of our society today will not be the deciders of tomorrow. After the crash, we're going to get rid of them, and then we're going to have to figure out a way forward. And there are many options on the table. We could go crypto. We can go gold and silver. Um, but it's going to have to be transparent. It's going to have to be um, 
as decentralized as possible. And I don't know who the the um, trusted people will be coming out of this situation, but it's not going to be the current people in office. No, not at all. And it depends on where you live. Like I live in Florida and I can imagine Florida bouncing back quick enough just because, you know, enough people here trust DeSantis and Florida can just start printing money like emergency. But no, they, they won't be a government, though. They won't. That's that's the, the thing. When the, the money is gone, nobody's going to work. And wow. that's pretty interesting thought. It's completely so it really different. comes down to just almost your neighbor's. Yeah, local, local, local barter. I mean, it's going to get strange and weird for a while. Now, on a on a better side, there are good people within the Fed and the Treasury who have been working on this problem for over a hundred years. If they don't have at least a halfway decent solution, you know, they're not worth their their salt. And I do think they are. Uh, they they got a comic to, book for uh, God's sake, you know. I know they they made a comic, <laughs> and they actually they wrote me into a comic book. Believe it or not, really, the New York Fed made a comic book of a little character named Glix, G-L-I-X, who runs around singing songs about the Federal oh, Reserve. That's definitely you. That's funny. Yeah. That's it's called the, the, the story of the Federal Reserve System. Oh. It's on their website. <laughs> well, that's why I like your story, Bix, is because your story does have a good ending. And uh, just like the Wishes and Rainbows has a good ending. And uh, I'm all about that. You know, yep. I, I think... Um, I think I'll settle for a white hats ending. I might have questions, but uh, you know that's just my nature. Yeah, we all we all do. All right, I think that's a good place to end it, Bix, because it's going to kick me off again in about five minutes, and I want no to no uh, wrap with you real quick before the show's over. But where can people go? Is it just mainly Road to Ruta? I know I see on YouTube Road to Ruta on YouTube, and then there's RoadToRuta.com. Yeah, uh, Road to Ruta YouTube. RoadToRuta.com has. Uh, it's got about 10 years of, uh, research and articles that I've written, uh, before I was doing YouTube, I only started YouTube about five years ago, but, uh, yeah, I do a daily podcast on YouTube and then I'm on uh, Patreon and, um, yeah, best place I, I think to follow my work is on YouTube. And didn't you just pitch a Steve Quayle movie? Was it about? Oh yeah. Canyon? What's yeah. He's, uh, I forgot the name, uh, hidden something in the grand Canyon. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he's got he's even got a whistleblower and it all lines up with the road to Ruta information. Well, folks, I think you might be seeing a Reese report video on this once I can wrap my head around it because it's it's pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Thanks a lot, Bix. All right. You take care. All right, Bix, I'm just going to cut it right there. Um, once again, dude, I really appreciate it, man. I was I, I could have. um I'm normally not like one to talk on phones or chat, but I could I could talk for you for a long time. It's very interesting. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm willing to uh, go again if you want to, to follow up at any time. I might want to follow up actually because I got some notes. I want to. I really need to dig into this Grand Canyon because I that's okay. just so fantastic. Uh, um, there's, so, there's a. Uh, I think there's a couple of videos on the the website about that. There's a meme I just saw recently. They took a Simpsons meme of the bartender throwing a guy out of the bar, and they put like a Native American face on the on the bartender and the, and a Egyptian guy and the guy getting thrown out. And it was like a, a history that people can't handle or something like that. That's true. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. much it. Very interesting stuff. Okay. So I'm going to do this. Uh, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to send this out to my entire email list. That'll give more yeah. listeners. Okay, cool. Great. And uh, this is the first time I've really done this on my podcast, I actually talked to someone and it was great. I really appreciate it, man. Oh, awesome. Talking it was to fun. You. 
Hey, send send me the link and I'll send it out to my people as well. Yeah, will do. Stay in touch. Hit me up if you need it, if you want to say anything or any questions. And uh, like I said, I might be hitting you up again too. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Bix. Yep, bye. And that is that. Hope you enjoyed it. That was a fun conversation. I feel like, I mean, I was taking notes the whole time on things that I wanted to get into deeper, actually. So <laughs> it was, now that I think about it, kind of a very general overview. The main thing I really want to dig into is the Grand Canyon. And apparently that's not a new movie. The, there's a... Jeez, oh, what's his name? Steve Quayle. There's a Steve Quayle movie about the Grand Canyon. I guess that's 10 years old even. Something like that. I gotta check that out. Interesting stuff. Man, wouldn't it be fun to go into the Grand Canyon freely to investigate? I guess you'd, you'd have to be some type of... Uh, be interesting to remote view. I bet you that people have remote viewed the Grand Canyon. I bet you Bix's friend um, Dick Algeyer has probably done that. I can look into that. All righty. That's about it. It's been a long one. It's interesting. Let me know what you guys thought of the uh, having a guest on. So there's other people I am interested in having on. I do like to have conversations with people. It's fun. Um, I am looking at affiliates. When I was in Texas visiting friends, a friend convinced me to be more proactive about business. And he's right. So I am looking into affiliates. I'm looking to find... A, I think I'm doing something with JM Bullion. I have to sort out for gold and silver. You know, things like that. Things I... Things I want you to get because I love you, you know, and I care about you. I want you guys to get gold and silver, stuff like that. And on that note, I'm also looking for a distributor, a distributor that can handle tens of thousands of orders overnight that we can uh, sell to the audience on band.video and infowars.com. Um, Obviously, we're looking for someone who's a patriot, who believes in free speech, believes in the Bill of Rights, believes in the civil rights, believes in freedom, and uh, someone that can, sell, can sell gold and silver directly, physical gold and silver people can get in their hands. And bonus points if you're willing to go on the air every now and then and uh, have like specials that you can talk about, you know? That's the, uh, the dream situation. So if you guys know anyone in the business, uh, you can let me hit me up in the comments and we'll get in touch. Uh, other than that, I hope you guys are doing well. Hope you guys are, are hanging in there. Um, I, uh, looks like I, I am moving, staying in Florida, but it looks like I'm moving in October. I guess that's all dependent upon how things go until then. What a crazy time to be alive, huh? What a crazy time to move. The good thing about it, I guess, for me is I will be, uh, I will be very light. You know, everything will be packed. Everything will be sorted. There will have been a purge of unnecessaries. The bad news would be, I guess, if somehow I, I get homeless in the transition. <laughs> well, we are, we do have a wild imagination here. I'm sure everything is going to be fine for me. I'm sure, every, I mean, I'm hoping everything's going to be fine for, for all of us. And I believe, I believe there are some good times ahead. That was kind of the, uh, one of my favorite things about Bix is, uh, 
is he keeps it real, I think, in that sense. And that is keeping it real. You know, the whole full doom and gloom thing. I can relate to it, uh, but it is skirting along paranoia. We don't want to we don't want to fall into the paranoid pit. But hey, I I skirt that. There's something about that crest line. I think that's maybe where you, uh, I don't know, maybe for the curious. Who knows, folks? We'll get into it next time. Have a great week. See you next week. Love you guys.